Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with theater's biggest names. I'm Alan Seals. I'm Jillian Hackman. And this episode is with Brandon Uranowitz, who is currently in Burn This on Broadway, which uh, I, I guess it's not, I was going to say ironically, but it's not ironically his first play, because um, he's done musicals his entire career until this point. Yeah, even though he trained for plays and drama. That doesn't seem like an uncommon thing, actually. There's a lot of people who who really come come out of these great conservatories with some classical training, and then they just do like weird, crazy musicals for years and years and years. Whatever pays the bills. Yeah. I part of what I really loved about um the interview with him is is like we got deep into the story, like his coming out story and being a gay Jew in in New Jersey. And kind of like a I I won't say shame, but sort of the the internal struggle he had um when I don't want to spoil the coming out story, but he he tells it when his parents sort of forced his hand, but then he lied about it and then convinced him, convinced them that he wasn't gay. Then he was relieved and upset all at the same time. Welcome to being a Jew in New York. (laughs) It's a very cultural Northeast American thing. Yeah. But yeah, that's something that I'm sure many a person has had some sort of experience with when they come from this world. And he said, he said something else too, that, that really resonates with me. Um, that now in in Burn This, it's the first, he's a gay man, and now in Burn This, he's the first openly gay character he's gotten to play mm-hmm. as a as a gay man in real life. Mm-hmm. And he he made the point, he's like, why did it take so long to get there? There yeah. are just not enough, not enough characters who are gay, who are the central focus of a storyline where being gay is not the focus of the story. Mm-hmm. It's always been that thing that makes you different, well, it's starting to become not that different anymore. Yeah. I guess it probably never was that different. It's just now that we're able to talk about it. Exactly. That everyone is just, yeah, we see it everywhere. We notice it. And it it shouldn't be a thing anymore. I totally agree with him. It just should just be. That's part of who people are. 2019, not a thing. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. Please enjoy this episode here with Brandon Uranowitz. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. So, do you want marketing made simple? Shopify removes the guesswork with built-in tools that help you create, execute, and analyze all your online marketing campaigns. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com income now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com income. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. He's a two-time Tony-nominated actor, best known for his roles as Adam in An American in Paris and Mendel in the 2016 Broadway revival of Falsettos. Both roles resulted in his Tony nominations and also got a Drama Desk Award nomination for Falsettos. With credits that also include The Prince of Broadway and the touring production of Rent, he's most recently been in the band's visit on Broadway and has appeared in TV productions, including The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Dietland, Blue Bloods, and Inside Amy Schumer. He is about to open burn this on Broadway. Brandon Uranowitz, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. So let's start where we normally start on this podcast, and let's go back to your very, your humble roots, your humble beginnings. Mm -hmm. Tell me where you grew up. I grew up in West Orange, New Jersey. Uh, a, you know, a little closeted gay Jewish boy um, who wasn't very good at sports um, and very uncoordinated. And my parents took me to see Peter Pan when I was three. And um, that sort of sparked this whole passion for theater um, and storytelling. I mean, uh, apparently my mom had never seen my face look like that before, and that's when she knew when I was watching them fly around the theater, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I still have yet to fly in a theater, so I'm still just like hoping and praying one day that'll happen. Wait, do you want to be? Uh, do you want to be Wendy or Peter? Wendy. Oh, of obviously. course. Yes. Yes. Obviously, Wendy. Uh, so then, from there, three-year-old, three-year-old Brandon goes back and says, "I want to do this." Or what? What happened after that? Um, no, I, I didn't necessarily vocalize that, but I think my parents saw something in me and could see my lack of athletic skills <laughs> and and decided to put me in, you know, some like extracurricular theater schools. Um, namely Performers Theater Workshop in Livingston, New Jersey. Um, and I, at, at, you know, for a good portion of my childhood, you know, probably from the age of six to 17, I was at PTW like three times a week um, doing private voice lessons, song interpretation class, acting class, obviously jazz and tap. Um so being uncoordinated, you were still doing jazz and tap. Uh, yeah, I like I managed to somehow be a somewhat decent dancer, mover, somewhat decent mover. Um, those skills have since waned a bit. Um, I haven't really like 
worked on that brain muscle in a while. So picking up choreography is like not my forte. That's that's interesting though. I mean, because an American in Paris, heavy dancing, heavy ballet. For everybody but me. Yeah? Yeah. I had, my my character had a war injury. So I was was limping around the stage. (laughs) Except for a nice fantasy tap number, which... Um, yeah, I could. I can tap dance. I can tap dance. That's funny. That's funny. So six, six until when you were saying you were performing? Like seventeen. Seventeen. Okay. And and because I grew up um, right outside New York City and um, right near Paper Mill Playhouse, mm-hmm. um, I somehow hoodwinked my family into letting me try it professionally, and I did. Um, I did a Vita at Paper Mill when I was. Nine, I turned 10, and then I did a Christmas carol at Madison Square Garden, and then I went and I played the little boy in the world premiere of Ragtime in Toronto. Oh, wow. When I was 11, yeah. So you had got all the child credits in there. I did. Um, and then, I mean, if you really want to get deep and, and like dive in here, um, I was playing the little boy in Toronto and, you know, it's it's a show about, uh, you know, immigrants and African-Americans and, you know, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants living in, in America and those race relations. Um, and there was a little Jewish boy playing this little waspy boy mm-hmm. and they were <laughs> bleaching my hair and my eyebrows every two weeks. No kidding. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I think I think it was just weird for them maybe to have someone named Brandon Uranowitz playing the little waspy boy. Um, and they let me go before they came to Broadway. So that sort of thickened my skin um, at a young age and prepared me a little bit for the inevitable rejection that you face on a daily basis in this industry. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so I worked professionally for a little bit. I came back and did this thing called Broadway Kids, um, which was like an off-Broadway skit. And we we recorded a couple of albums. Um, and then I got bar mitzvahed and sort of realized that I didn't have like a, a core group of friends really at that time. I was constantly leaving school to audition and I was not at school for big swaths of time rehearsing or doing a show. Um, And it was lonely a little bit for me as a kid. And so I stopped for a while and just went and finished middle school and went to high school. And um, I knew I still wanted to perform. I knew I still wanted to be an an actor. Um, But I I, I needed to be a a human. (laughs) and do normal human people things. I've heard that from from others who were performing a lot as children that they they just wanted to take a break and just like be a be a kid yeah. for a while. Yeah, and um I I think it was an imp- an important um decision and I'm very happy that I did it. Uh those are your formative developmental years right. where you <laughs> learn basic social skills and and how to relate to people. And, um, you know, being in the closet brought its own set of challenges. So, I, you know, I had a, enough to contend with, I guess. Well, yeah, I want to get into your coming out story. Because I, I saw, I saw, Uh-oh. we're going to do it in a second. Because okay, I saw, yeah, 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 I saw your, uh, on an episode of Side by Side with Susan Blackwell, 
Um, I think it was at Stephanie J. Block's house. It but, sure was. Um, so where you told your coming out story, which was quite funny. But it's um, it, yeah, we'll we'll get into it. It's not actually my coming out story. It's it's uh, my almost coming out story. Okay, well let's yeah, just, yeah, let's we'll, just we'll tell the story. In. Just tell the story. We'll Are you get, sure? Yeah, yeah. Because we'll. I wanted. Okay, well. Hold on to that, listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get there. P- we'll put a pin in uh, it. Put a pin in that. I want to ask about your your parents, though. How traditionally Jewish are they, or were they? Uh, <laughs> you know, because when I'm thinking, they were. They seemed obviously very supportive, and they were like, "We're going to give our child everything he wants, and let him be this child star, and let him audition, yeah. and take him out of school." And that, uh, you know, I don't. That doesn't necessarily jive with like. Yeah. No. 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 I mean it. it I did not grow up in like a religious kosher household. We did go to, I mean, I went to Hebrew school every Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday, even though I tried with all of my might to get out of it every single time. Um, And we went to like a conservative Jewish temple on high holidays and things like that. And we celebrated Passover and, you know, we had a Seder and Rosh Hashanah and, um, but it, it it never really sort of permeated into our like daily lives. Mm-hmm. I think it was more about my mom grew up in a in a kosher household, and my dad's parents went to to temple, and um, I, I think it was just them sort of holding on to tradition. And I mean, you know, that's a huge part of Jewish culture is the is the tradition. Uh, the traditions that they they withhold and um uh not withhold that they keep um withstand with uh, yeah i can't think of the word i, it's with, I, with some, I know what you're I trying to say you know what i'm trying to say yeah yeah uh it, yeah it's more about the tradition and uh, um and they wanted me to get bar mitzvah and they wanted my sister to get bar mitzvah um but it was never really about the religion of it and the you know the teachings of the the Bible and the Torah. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was more about the community that that is sort of inherent in in Jewish tradition. Yeah, I mean, it was it was it, we were very much like New York, New Jersey Jews, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess along with that, and this leading into the coming out story was you know were were they necessarily like. Uh, pro LGBT sort of initiatives, or were did they not care, or you know, being around? I think like it was. They were sort of ambivalent, I guess. Um, it, I guess going along with tradition and growing up in New Jersey, in and uh, around. I mean, and I went to a, a private school. I think for my parents, it was um, it wasn't about being gay or um or that that or that being gay is is a is necessarily a bad thing or mm-hmm. an evil thing or or uh you know a disgusting life choice or something i think more for them it was just the fear of being different um and the fear of judgment from the people around them and the people hmm. around me and the kids that i was going to school with I think um, they just didn't want me to, they didn't want to deal with that obstacle and they didn't want me to deal with that obstacle. So I think that was just sort of, um, and it was, it was, you know, it was not as prevalent. People were not living as openly as they are now, back when I was growing up. 
So, you know, if we would come into New York City to see a show, which we did all the time, um, and there was, you know, a gay couple holding hands or kissing on the street, I don't even think my dad was conscious of it or aware of it because he could not be more supportive of me now um, and supportive of LBGTQ rights and that. I, I just, you know, I think he, I would see him wince and I would see him sneer a little bit um, only because it was different and novel for him. Right. And I think it scared him. And I think a lot of parents of gay kids um, come, act out of fear more than anything. And I don't think there's malice in their hearts necessarily. I just think it's a, it's fear-based, re, it's reactionary and fear-based. Fight or flight almost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's interesting. So get into your coming out story then, because <laughs> I want to know, I want to know how they reacted. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm going to just assume that like many of your listeners have probably heard this story. So like <laughs> apologies in advance if you know what's coming and like if you know my zingers in this story. But for those who don't know, um, <laughs> when I was a teenager, the internet was like this new, wonderful, mysterious thing. Um, How old are you now? At this point? Yes. Uh, like 13, 14. No, I mean like today, right here. Oh, right yeah. now? Yeah. 32. 32. Okay, yeah. So um, you're younger than me. Yeah, so I had a modem. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yes. No, so but do yeah, we. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. had a modem. Okay, okay. And a family computer. Yes. You know? Yes. And uh, it, we all shared it. And it was all very new. Nobody knew how to use this thing. Do you have Prodigy? Of course I had Prodigy. <laughs> and my my first screen name on Prodigy was Bagels for You. So, <laughs> so, good night. Um, and see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, God, I was such a nerd. Um, so <laughs> the internet was this new thing. We had this new giant machine in the house that nobody really knew how to use. But there was all this cool, interesting stuff you could find on it if you went onto this weird thing called Internet Explorer. You could explore this vast, mysterious world that exists in the ether somewhere. Um, and so at this point, you know, my hormones are developing. I'm starting to have feelings. Um, and I'm realizing that they're not normal that everybody's sort of expecting me to and like at this point I am like kissing girls and I'm like canoodling with girls because that's what I was supposed to do that's like what you humans do I guess but that's it never that's the behavior modeled right everywhere, everywhere yeah. you go that's yeah. what's being advertised to you on TV and magazines on buses and on you know everywhere and mm -hmm. like that's my parents and you know so, um, but it never, it never felt natural to me. I was like, this is not, um, I don't know what, I mean, I guess this is nice. I like cuddling up with someone, but like, I don't really feel the impulse to do this. Um, but I guess I'll continue. But here's this internet thing. And, oh, there are some pictures that make me feel things. And, oh, there's some videos that I've stumbled upon. And, oh, those make me feel things that I don't feel when I'm with girls. What is that? And then I, you know, so I like continued to 
explore that uh, very late at night when my parents are sleeping or, you know, weekend afternoon when they're at the mall. Um, You know, (laughs) I would go to the family computer and explore these feelings. Um, And I thought because, you know, I mean, I, I feel like this is true today also that, I mean, this will always be true that like the younger generation is always a little more savvy with the like evolution of technology. Of course. So I I knew at that point that like you always delete your browser history, right? Like that's (laughs) just, that's what you do. Um, I don't know how I knew that. I mean, one of my best friends, Michael at the time was like very, very into computers. Um, And I guess I probably like learned from him that that's a thing that you do. Um, and so I was very diligent, diligent about deleting my browser history. Um, and one day I'm in eighth grade and this is where some people will know where this story goes. I'm at my friend Nicole's house who I met at PTW, Mm -hmm. uh, doing theater and dance. And, uh, we were (laughs) choreographing a hip hop dance because that's what we liked to do. <laughs> and we also would like teach it to l- younger kids. Um, so I was at her house choreographing a hip-hop dance, and I, I get a call from my mother on my Nokia cell phone. And she sounds very, it sounds very urgent, very dire, and there's darkness in her voice. And she's like, where are you? You need to come home right now. And I was like, um, is everything okay? She's like, yes, it's fine. You just need to come home now. And I was like, okay. So like Nicole and I finished choreographing and I was like, I guess I have to go home. So she drove me home and I walk into the house and my mom is standing in complete darkness in the kitchen with this like neon light just sort of like backlighting her. Um, and it's very creepy and scary. She looks terrifying. Um, and I walk in and I'm like, what's up? (laughs) And she like steps out of the shadows like a murderer. (laughs) And she's, (laughs) she's like, follow me. We need to talk about something. And she leads me down into the like family, whatever office, which was like, not really, it was like the mud room, um, to the, to the computer and in complete anger and like disgust she starts (laughs) she starts like very rapid fire opening all of these files and they link to internet sites of like like pretty hardcore porn like gay porn yeah and (laughs) i'm completely caught off guard and all, my again, like talk about fight or flight. Like my immediate reaction is to just pretend that I have no clue what this is, and on top of that, pretend like I'm disgusted by it because I can't let her know that this is like mine. So I'm just standing there, being like, "Ew, that's so disgusting. That's so gross. Like, stop showing this to me. Why are you doing this to me?" And then she like started, and then like my dad came down and like just his under, it was like so, it was so weird. Just his like tidy whities And he was like, he was like, Brandon, like if it's yours, we can deal with it. Like, let's talk about it. And like, and they just like keep showing. And then all of a sudden, and like, obviously it's mine. Like I can also just like, in my brain, obviously I've cataloged all of this. I'm like, oh yeah, that was like last Thursday. Like that was Sunday. Like I, I, I know. 
And then like out of like like a, a like a miracle. I guess it wasn't really a miracle because this probably would have like just solved a lot of issues for the next couple of years. But out of nowhere, they opened this other file that was like some weird fax document thing that like nobody recognized. And so like immediately I'm like, oh, well, we're obviously being hacked. Like someone hacked into our computer and is just like looking at porn on... on, on. <laughs> they hacked into a remote computer to look at porn. Correct. Makes total Correct, sense. Correct, right? Yeah. They believed me though. Like they... They bought it. Wow. They bought it. And uh, but like that's uh, that's not how computers work. That's not how it works. <laughs> right. These are files that were saved on the hard drive of the So basically we found out that like or I found out what happened was the computer was acting really slowly and my dad's brother Seymour is v- was very computer savvy. Like he was I think he taught like computer science or something mm-hmm. out in Minnesota. And they called him to be like our computer's acting really slowly. We don't know what's up. How do we fix it? And he was like, "Well, have you deleted your temporary internet files?" And that's when they found this just like plethora of gay porn sites cuz I guess uh, you know, at that time, I don't know if it's still true. I don't know how. And I, I use a Mac now, so I don't know. But like, it would save, it would log. It caches your images. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not just images, like the the web, the link, like oh, the, yeah, yeah. the URLs. Oh, so they went in. They went in manually and and to go delete those. Oh man. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Just like thousands. Oh, of, of course, this. of course. But they believed me that we were hacked, and like, so I didn't. I, I almost had to come out, but like. Then they started po- apologizing, like perf- like my mom started crying, like she just felt so terrible Oof. that they had accused me of something I had very much done. <laughs> well, how did that feel? It was weird. That was it was a weird, it was a weird experience. Because you're relieved they don't know, but you want them to know so badly. Correct. Yeah. It was a weird, um, dissonant experience for me because. I was so relieved that I didn't have to deal with it then. And I guess at the time, I was like, oh, maybe I'll never have to deal with it. Hmm. Maybe, maybe I'll just live my life. I'll 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 marry a woman, I'll have a family, and I'll deal with these feelings on my own. At at that point, I, you know. I didn't really have any reference point for gay relationships. You didn't know any other gay people in your life? Not really. I mean, I knew them from, you know, working in theater. Like, right. they were around. But um, there was no, there was no it, it really lasting imagery or, again, like, reference point for gay love for me or relationships. So for me, it was... It just felt like it was purely connected to and related to sex. So those are feelings I felt like I could deal with privately, but like love and relationships and partnership I could find with a woman. I mean, all of my friends were girls, you know what yeah. I mean? So I was like, oh, that that's what that's what will happen. That's how this will go. And then I went to college and I was like, Mm-mm-mm. No, no, because it started affecting my work. Mm-hmm. That's that's interesting. That I mean, I think even with you know, as a straight 
teenager myself. At you know, I'm not teen teenager anymore, but it is. You look at <laughs> no, I'm 38. I am uh, almost in my 40s. Don't look a day over 37. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, my someone took me the other day to get my eyebrows waxed for the first time. So uh, they I, look nice. Thank you, thank you. I th- this very was, on fleek, as they say. On fleek is what the kids say these that's days. That's what they say. I think yeah. it's like about eyebrows. I think that's is where really? on fleek came from. I couldn't was about eyebrows. You. Well, yours are on fleek. Well, thank you. Um, I I now have to continue this trend because I think they look rather nice. They do. Um, yes. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So uh, for me, I remember like. At the same age, I was looking at porn on my computer, and my dad actually found that found it, and he pulled me aside and he said, "He said, just don't show your brother because I was yeah. the older brother. He, he didn't, pro- he didn't was, care. He was probably but, proud. Yeah, he's like, all right, cool, my my boy's straight. Yeah, and and but what was modeled for me too was all sex because on TV and in cable and like you don't have these big love stories. That's not what sells. It's like sex sells. Love doesn't sell yeah, a lot right. of times, at least to men. Like to men. Oh. Especially to men. Especially to men, right? Yeah. Like, men in rom-coms are not marketed to men. So, uh, yeah, I think in just a comment on that in general, like our society needs to needs to get some more love modeled for yeah. our kids. Come on. I mean, it's... It, <laughs> for a society that's so predicated on partnership and families, you'd think that the element of love would would sort of guide it, but it, it really, it doesn't. No. No, it doesn't. It's getting uh, better, particularly for the gay community, I think. Yeah. It's on its way. Um, you know, I'm still waiting for that story, that film, that play, where a gay character's sexual orientation is not the central conflict of the story. I mean... um. Oh, shoot. Nick Offerman movie that just came out. Hearts Beat Loud. Oh, yeah. Go see that. Okay. Nick Offerman's daughter in the movie is is a lesbian, and it's just there. See? It's not the central conflict. Oh, she has a girlfriend God. that is just come, comes in and out of scenes, and there's like, you know. Is she the main character? Um, it's about Nick Offerman, really. Okay. So she's, oh, she. It's about the relationship between. I mean, it's it's sort of. I'm I'm still waiting for that 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 story where the gay character is the center of the 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 film, and I mean, I guess it's it's hard in it these days to not comment on it, but I'm still waiting for a film that centers around a gay character where like the central conflict is something completely other. What about Doctor Who? I don't really know Doctor Who. So some of some of Doctor Who's companions have been gay, and they that's just there. That's nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In the in the remake, not the original, right. obviously. But Fair enough. Yeah. So there's a couple out there. Okay. But to your point, I don't think there's been a big blockbuster movie central to no. C- and like, look, it's baby, yeah. it's baby steps, and yeah. I'm happy with the steps we're taking. With you know, Love Simon and all of that. I mean, I'm yeah. very very happy about that. But right. So um, then. When did you actually come out, though? We never got there yet. Oh, yeah. I guess we haven't. <laughs> um, I was still in the closet my freshman year of college, even though I was secretly hooking up with a boy. Um, and I was at the, NYU. At I was at time. NYU. Yep. I was in the Meisner studio. And all of year one at Meisner is all about 
discovering your inner emotional life and opening yourself up to revealing that emotional life on stage and accessing it on stage um, or on film and TV, like whatever, just in, in, scene, in scenes and in scene mm -hmm. work. Um, and I was completely closed off to it. And I was not thriving really in it because we weren't doing... I mean, I, 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 at that point, I think I was a decent, good actor, um, but I could play characters. And when it came to personalizing things as Brandon, um, because it was all personal, that work, mm -hmm. um, I was completely closed off and stunted, and I couldn't figure out why. Um, I started having really, really bad panic attacks. I like ended up in the emergency room like four times that year thinking I was dying. Um, and I was just sort of like spiraling because I didn't, I just felt like a shell a little bit. I didn't have any access to anything inside of me because I was trying to break through like titanium walls. Um, you're just trying to keep it out of your mind yeah, completely. Well, yeah, well, right. I was just yeah. trying to do anything I could to maintain this lie, I guess. Did in, At this point in your own head, did you know you were gay? Or, or were yeah. you just trying to convince yourself you weren't? Like, were you trying no, to believe I, your own... No, I knew. I knew. I mean, it's just a... That's always a tough question because, like, I've, I've always known. Um... But denial is like a very, very powerful thing mm -hmm. um, and a very manipulative thing. Um, and I think I had manipulated myself into believing I was somebody else a little bit. Um, anyway, so I was, I was contending with a lot of, you know, failure in my work um, anxiety and like panic attacks in my life. Um, and I sort of reached a fever, it reached a fever pitch and, um, I started seeing a therapist and I started taking anxiety medication and, um, slowly but surely, you know, you know, the, the mist started to clear a little bit and I, everything began, became clear. Um, and I realized what I had to do. And so like sophomore year of college is when I finally started telling the people closest to me in Meisner. I think they were like sort of the first few people I told. My sister was, I think I told my sister, I think I actually told my sister on my 20th birthday. Yeah. Or 19th birthday. Be nineteen or twenty and sophomore, yeah. Nine, yeah, nineteen or twentieth yeah. birthday. Um, yeah, uh, and then, um, and then I told my mom, who <laughs> was still surprised, but um, cool with it. Um, you know, she cried. I think she again 
sort of believed what I just said about, you know, denial being very powerful. And mm-hmm. she had convinced herself that, you know, she would see me at the altar with a woman or some, I don't know, some like weird old like baby boomer traditional bullshit. Right. Um, and, uh, but then, you know, I mean, she said to me, she's like, obviously being gay is a huge part of who you are. That is a major part of the fiber of your being. And we love you as you are, and we don't want you to be anybody different. So we, if being straight means that you are different than you are, we don't want that. Like we want you as you, we love Mm -hmm. you as you. Um, And it's been amazing. I've had a, you know, I have a boyfriend that I've been with for eight years and it's, they've, they've accepted him as a son and it's, it's beautiful and wonderful and amazing, and they've mm-hmm. been incredible. So, um, but told, it, it was it was touching go there for a while. When you told your dad, you said, "Dad, I need you in your underwear right now." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Actually, I no. I mean, I never actually physically told my dad. My mom, I, I was like, "Mom, you can tell dad. I just, <laughs> I can't. Like, it's a lot." Yeah, yeah. That's oh, that's really nice. I mean, that's as good of a story as anybody could hope for. Yeah. Did no, you, do you ever was, joke about the the discovery of the porn on the computer? Did anybody talk about that? Oh my God! With he, my family, yeah. Oh yeah. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I think it still is like a little bit of a sore spot for them because I think they, I think they feel bad. I think they feel like they were not great parents in that moment. But I don't, I don't blame them. Parenting is fucking hard. Yeah, and it's yeah. you know, and as much as I was contending with the social you know, obstacles of being gay. They were dealing with the social obstacles of, you know, being parents and being protective of their kids. Like, I, you know, I, I don't blame them at all. Is your sister older or younger? Younger. So so do you look out for her? Does she still, does she look out for you at all? Are you guys? Yeah, we both do. Yeah. We're really close. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I really, I enjoyed that story. That was good. I'm glad. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. But how about we talk about some theater, huh? Let's do it. You wanna, since this is the theater podcast. Sure, yeah, yeah let's yeah, talk yeah. about some theater. Some theater. Um, yeah, so NYU, of course. And then what, what was your major when you graduated? Did, drama. Drama, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't really study musical theater at school. It so, was mostly, I was in Meisner for two years, then I went into classical for a year, which was Shakespeare. And, yeah. I found, um, I think it was, it was Wesley Taylor actually was telling me that like at School of the Arts where he went, he did a lot of, Drama, classical, Shakespeare, and all this stuff. And then the, his first Broadway gig was, um, was uh, oh, crap. I'm blanking on this. Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages, right. Which is like a complete opposite of Shakespeare. But yeah. he was saying, like, yeah. the classical stuff really trains you. It does. I mean, I, I think I, 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 I'm, I'm so thankful that I stopped working as a kid so that I could go to high school and take a class called, um, you know, uh, modern drama where I where I learned about Sam Shepard and you know August Wilson and Eugene O'Neill 
and Tennessee Williams. And like I read the greats and fell in love with drama and theater and plays. Yeah. Because that's what sort of inspired me to go to NYU and really focus on the acting. And I think it's a huge part of why I'm where I am now is that I was able to really sink my teeth into the challenges of telling a story and playing actions and hmm. having relationships and and being with your scene partner and connecting with them and you know right but most of most of your professional credits have been musicals no correct yeah so how how did you make that transition i i mean you know i did ptw like i, I mean a lot of my training as a kid was in musical theater. I worked in musical theater as a kid. Um, and like, funnily enough, um, when I was at NYU, I didn't do any musicals except for my final semester when I got cast in the main stage musical, which was this, an original musical called Only Children. Um, and I was playing one of the leads and I guess, or not I guess, an agent came to it and I mean it was just sort of like weird fateful things you know an agent came and that's how I got my representation they saw me in a musical mm -hmm. and so and you know as an actor you sort of want as many possibilities it's a numbers game right so you want as many possibilities um, as possible at your your fingertips to try and book work and so they were like oh he can sing so I was sent out for musicals as well. Um, and sort of the musical theater niche is what bit first. And that's sort of where I saw, that's where my career ended. And I just sort of like went where it took, where the wind blowed. So um, it's not really where I saw my career going, um, but it's been amazing. <laughs> well, yeah, It's been really special. And I um, have loved doing musical theater and I have loved particularly bringing what I learned at NYU and bringing my training as an actor to musicals. I think... Um, they go hand in hand. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually, I have a, a, I do have a little bit of an issue with people. I mean, it's been impossible for me to <laughs> burn this as sort of like the, maybe the only... I, I don't want to say it's the only because I don't have the actual numbers, but it, there can't be more than like f four or five like plays that I've been seen for. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's impossible for me to even get seen for them because for whatever reason, people say musical theater is one thing and straight theater is another. Right. And, and as far as I'm concerned, they're the exact same thing. There's just a melody involved in in one of them and you sit you have to sing on certain pitches in another but it's the exact same thing you are trying to tell the truth and bring authenticity to a story and convince an audience of uh you know cir certain circumstances mm -hmm. like there's no difference so i just I, it, it sort of bothers me a little bit when you know i I, I get put into this box of musical theater thinking like as if I can't do the other, but it's the same thing. Yeah. Well, hopefully this, I mean, this will kind of break you out of that pattern a little bit. Um, I mean, going back over your credits, you were Mark in the National Tour of Rent and 
Um, you made your Broadway debut in Baby It's You in 2011. Mm-hmm. And uh, just a quick question about that. You originated a role as your Broadway debut. At that time, did you know how special that was? I did. Did you? I did. I mean, that, that yes. I mean, that, that show came with quite a few challenges, but um, I knew how lucky I was at that time and how rare that is uh, in this business. Um, and especially in my debut, it was, was, I, I, I knew it was special. That's that's good. I was, I was going to say, yeah, I didn't, that, you know, the thing is, is that show was, (laughs) did not really succeed. It didn't do well. Um, but I was just like, so unbelievably grateful at the time that like, I, I didn't really care. I was still walking. I was still cashing a Broadway check every week. Mm -hmm. I was going to Times Square every day to go to work. I was like living the dream, playing a role nobody had ever played before. Like it was, it was cool. That's fun. And then yeah, American in Paris and falsettos. Gosh, falsettos was like lightning in a bottle with that cast. Yes, that was um, Christian Borle, Stephanie J. Block, Andrew Randall's, Tracy Tom, Betsy Wolf. Yeah, it was it was Anthony Rosenthal. Yeah, I mean it was. Yeah. It, that was um, that was like the pinnacle. That was, like you said, I mean, I always describe it as lightning in a bottle because it was one of those rare things where you love every single person you're working with. You love the material with all of your soul. Um, you love going to work every day and you love doing it. The audiences love it. Critics love it. Um, it was... Yeah, I mean, it was just a perfect storm, and like it never, that never ever happens. Was that chemistry between the cast? Did, did you all know each other beforehand through any means, or Not did you really, meet, really? It just was like casting. I, yeah, I mean, I had a work session or with um, and like a chemistry read, I guess, with Stephanie. Uh, it was like sort of my last audition with in, in which was a very long process. Um, and like as soon as I walked in the in the room and we made eye contact, I was like, "Oh, oh wow, okay." And we did making a home, and it was like, I, I will never. I I remember every single detail of that moment. It was, yeah. Again, it was lightning in a bottle. Wow. Yeah, it was a great, great, great. Thank you. Run. It was amazing. It, it was a. It's a long, difficult show too. I mean, the whole thing is almost. Yeah, but it was like the sung. most satisfying exhaustion you could possibly imagine. You know what I mean? It was like running a marathon every day, but you're like, we just climbed Mount Everest, and it was so satisfying. Right. So now, uh, oh, then you did the band's visit, your replacement in the band's visit, uh-huh. and uh, now uh, burn this. Tell me, yeah. tell us, tell everyone about burn this. Okay. I'm gonna have to do this. Unfortunately, quickly, because I have fight call in one minute. Oh, no, okay. Um, but burn this. Uh, you know, it's it's Lanford Wilson's, you know, beautiful play about grief and loss. And it's just, you know, four people coming together Hello, and dealing... It is time for fight call. Fight call, please, may have cast to the stage. Uh-oh. 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 Okay, wait, hold on. I'm okay. going to finish this, and then we'll... We can also pause, and I can come back. Oh, okay. Um, uh, yeah, it, it, it's about four people sort of dealing with the loss of a very important person in their life and how that grief and that vulnerability and that pain forces you to look inward and and sort of like reevaluate your life and your relationships um, and and find out what's important to you and what is meaningful to you and um, 
and how like grief sort of opens you up to certain possibilities and closes you off to other possibilities. Um, and I'm finally playing a fucking gay character on Broadway. Let's put a pin in that. Okay. Let's go do your fight all right, call. I'll be right back. Okay. I'll be right back. And we're back. And we're back. Are you all fighted up? You know what's hilarious is like <laughs> I just sort of like float around the fight. Yeah, no, I, I I'm all fighted out, but I don't really I'm not really involved cool. in the fight very much. So you were saying uh, before the break that um, this is the first time you've actually gotten to play a gay character on stage. Yeah, in on Broadway. On Broadway. Yes. I mean, I have played gay characters before, but this is sort of my first, which is just so shocking to me. I don't know. I, it's just, it, it speaks to, and I think Broadway is much better at this than Hollywood is, um, but it just speaks to the lack of space for us in the storytelling world, in the performing arts. Um, I, I, it's a hot button issue, and I it, and it's hard for me to like speak to one side of it or the other. Um, because I always do believe that uh, the the best person for the part should be playing the part. But um, there really is an imbalance. And until young gay people can see themselves playing themselves on screen or on stage, um, there, there will always be a problem, and there will always be an imbalance. I mean, you know, you know, I've had the, I've been very lucky, and I've gotten to play some amazing heterosexual characters, um, and I think that's probably maybe rare. Um, it certainly is in Hollywood, um, and if, <laughs> and if they're um, not gay, then they're probably in the closet playing straight characters. Mm -hmm. um, but <clears throat> I think it's very important that we, uh, there, you know, particularly with Burn This um, and plays of that era and that moment, um, it was a very important time for gay people to just see gay people on stage yeah. and, you know, just to be acknowledged and to just have their existence validated. Um, but that's not enough anymore. I think we actually, because actors are no longer these like mysterious creatures with social, you know, now we have social media and the internet and uh, transparency is mm -hmm. the norm. Um, and we know a lot about people's personal lives. It's no longer just enough to see gay characters. We have to see gay people working and being a part of the workforce and being productive members of society and that we are allowed that we are not just that like we're not just tolerated and that our existence is real but that we uh, are contributing to the greater good and the stories and I, I think mm -hmm. that's so for me, it's very. This is very important, uh, an important moment for for me and for you know gay kids l looking to who have dreams of being on Broadway, um, that they can that they can do it, uh, and that there's space for them. Well, 
Very well said. Thanks. And since we are short on time, gosh, I feel like I could talk to you for another. Like, I love this. Four, this is, I mean, and hours. I love just like sitting here with these mics. Uh, <laughs> I know, me too. I could talk about this shit for days. Well, I'll, I'll have to come back and we yeah, can yeah. Do, but let's do part can, two. Okay, we'll do part two. But uh, st- in part one here, there's three closing questions that I ask everybody on the podcast. Okay. First, uh, very simply, what motivates you? Oh, oh God. Uh, I, I want this sounds so strange, but um young people, um, people who I used to be, young kids who I know feel the way that I did um, and need a better model than I had is what motivates me to keep going and to keep doing the work is to be that thing that I didn't have. Mm-hmm. And what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Stop trying to be the people that you're not because they appear to be succeeding more than you. Go at your own pace and do things on your own time so long as you are truly and 100% authentic to yourself. Never ever compare yourself to other people. It will get you nowhere. Um, And you will never be that other person. And guess what? That other person will never be you. So stay true to yourself and trust your gut. And don't convince people people of uh, of anything else. And then last question, if you could only see one show for the rest of your life but you could see it as many times as you want, what show would you see? Ragtime. Wow, 3 for Ragtime. I think you're the third person who said Ragtime. Really? Yeah. Ragtime is a popular one. I I I mean, obviously I'm like a little biased cuz I was a part of it, but I will say I took a road trip like not that long ago by my by myself, I was going to going somewhere to visit someone, and I put on the Ragtime cast album and sobbed <laughs> like catharsis to the nth degree. It was, and I didn't realize. I, I guess I just I don't know what it is about that score and about that story and about those people doing it. I could for days, for day, for the rest of my days. Wonderful. So uh, people can connect with you on Instagram at Bran Uran. That's right. U-R-A-N. And then that's it, right? You're yeah, that's on, me. That's it. On Instagram, you can get more of... I mean, I'm on uh, Twitter, but like <laughs> I don't use Twitter. So Instagram. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Instagram. Yeah. Cool. So you get more of me at theater underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Facebook.com slash official theater podcast. Of course, listen and subscribe, rate and review the ratings help tremendously i read those uh produced this is produced by jillian hockman and then thank you as always to jukebox the ghost for the intro and outro music you hear right now brandon thank you so much this has been incredible thank you for having me this was so much fun we have to do a part two yeah we're gonna do a part two okay thank you so much take a deep breath make the world a little colorful 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.